The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for those songs to draw our hearts into worship. And thank you for your scriptures, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now and would you open those scriptures to us? Would you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes that we might see and know and be led to Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if I was to ask you, what's the best present you ever received, what would you say? If you're a young person, you might say, I got this great bike, or I got this game that I always wanted, I got a new video game, something along those lines. You might say, you know, when I was 16, I got my first car, and I got freedom. I was able to kind of get out on the road. You might think about some beautiful piece of jewelry that was given to you a necklace, a ring, a bracelet, something that you have cherished, whether it was from someone who loved you or passed down through the generations. Maybe somebody gave you a dream vacation, like took you to a place you always wanted to go. You had this great adventure and your heart just soared in the middle of it. There was a lady at 8 o'clock who told me after church this morning that she was given a Roomba and she's never had to vacuum again. Of course, she was all decked out in jewelry, and her husband was standing there, and I knew he'd given most of it to her. And she said, honey, I do love the jewelry, but that Roomba is really great. (laughs) For me, a couple of times over the last 20 years, I've been given new surfboards. i got to tell you, that's a great gift. Good, good, good gift. When Jesus spoke to his disciples before he was about to leave to return to the Father, he was preparing them. And he promised to give them the greatest gift that you could ever receive. As we heard there in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, he began by saying this, Look, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I read what those commandments were at the very beginning, right? He says, everything in the scripture can be summed up into these words, love God and love others. So he he says, if you belong to me, You're going to show that you love God by the way you love the people around you. Which suddenly, you know, that love for Jesus, man, I got that down. That love for others, that gets a little more complicated, I think. But he says to me, Chris, look, if you love me, love these people. And he says to you, if you love him, then, you know, love me and love each other. And that isn't some kind of fluffy tolerance for one another. 
It, it means that we have to work through the hard things, the differences, the, the different backgrounds we come from, the different experiences we've had that have shaped us and molded us, the different temperaments, the weird quirks that some of us have. And of course, even across political differences and things that are so dividing our culture and even many churches. He said, look, if you're mine, you've got to love sacrificially. You've got to love powerfully, intentionally, through action, through word, in all kinds of ways. And if we do that, he says, not only is it the proof that we actually belong to him, but he says in verse 16, then I will ask the Father, he will give you the greatest gift you can imagine. Now, what's the gift? Well, it isn't a what, the gift is a who. It's not some impersonal force like in Star Wars. You know, 57% of people in our country think that the Holy Spirit, that's the who, is just like the force of Star Wars. Impersonal, and you can kind of know it, and but that's, that's not what Jesus reveals to us. This gift is the third person of the Trinity. And in the text we're looking at, Jesus calls him the helper. The helper. Now, some of you know I'm a total word geek, so I apologize in advance, but I'm going to tell you some Greek. In Greek, it's the word paraclete. And it's this incredibly dynamic word. That's, it's really more of a category that covers all sorts of things. Now, I heard this story about a harvest festival in the fall that was happening at this little church in a small rural area. And the speaker had called all the children up, and, and they were looking at all the decorations for this harvest festival. And he said, what do you see? And one little boy said, oh, I see carrots. And another little girl said, oh, I see potatoes. And another little girl said, I see peas. And, and then the speaker asked, can anyone tell me a word that covers all these things just described? And there was this long pause as they thought really hard. And then a little boy in the back he peeped up and he said, gravy, gravy covers them all. <laughs> now the speaker was looking for the word vegetable, vegetable covers them all. But the boy wasn't wrong. Now, when the Bible translators were looking for an English equivalent for the word paraclete, they couldn't find one. That's why if you have some of the older translations, it'll actually just say the paraclete. But in our newer translations, like the one we're reading from today, this is the ESV, it says here, helper. But there are a whole bunch of other things you'll see. You'll see counselor and encourager and comforter and teacher and intercessor and advocate. Because paraclete is more of a categorical word that encompasses and covers all those things. There's not just one word that matches it. And so Jesus says, look, if you love me, then the Father's going to give you the greatest gift ever, the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the helper, the legal advisor. That's another way to translate that. And at the heart of what the word means, it really is someone who comes alongside of you, someone who's going to be there to do what? Well, he tells us in verse 17 to dwell with you. Now, he dwells with us in different ways. Before you're a Christian, he comes alongside of you and he dwells with you to draw you to God, right? To convict you, to show you that you're really not as good as mama told you you were or grandma or you think 
about yourself, but that really the issues of your life are not that you didn't have enough opportunities or that you've got low self-esteem, but that sin, a penchant towards selfishness, that's the issue. That's at the heart of what breaks everything relationally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically in the world and in each of our lives. And so he comes alongside to dwell with us, to convict us, convince us that we are really lost apart from the saving work of God, apart from this Savior, Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, though, the Spirit wants us to see that we can be forgiven and we can have new life. Through Jesus, we can be saved. That's what the Spirit does initially in the lives of someone who doesn't yet know Christ. But once you have kind of dealt with that, entered into this salvation that is such a great and glorious gift that God gives. Once you're a Christian, not only does he come alongside of you, he does that, but he actually comes and he lives with you. He lives in you. Now, alongside of you, what does he do? All those things I said. He comforts, he encourages, he convicts, he teaches, he guides. In fact, he is the greatest guide you could ever imagine. If you've ever you know, been out fishing and had a terrific fishing guide, like they guide you to the place where you're going to catch the fish. Or if you've ever been out on a wilderness excursion and you've had this fantastic guide, they always get you where you need to be and where you need to go. Now, in the days before modern navigation, when iron ships were really just a very new thing, boats were always equipped with two compasses. There was one that was on the deck and it was for the captain's convenience and easy access. And there was also another one atop, right, the topmost mast. It was up high, and the crew members would climb up to check it out and to inspect it. And the reason that these compasses were separated was because steel and iron can cause magnetic issues that could occasionally interfere with the compass readings. But the masthead compass was outside of the influence of that magnetic field. And that meant that the most trusted guidance came from the compass above. Now, this is the kind of guidance that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, comes to give in our lives. Right? He guides without any interference from the world. He's not affected by all the chaos and the static and the magnetic forces that are going on. He's unswerving in his precision. And that's why he's called the spirit of truth. Now, verse 17, Jesus says the world, which, right, I mean, let's think about the world. It's all about power and gain and self and pride and getting ahead, even at the expense of other people. Well, the world, which is corrupted, and is marked by so much falsehood, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. And why? Well, because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, and it's because he's so different. Right? He's the spirit of truth through and through and through. There's nothing false, nothing untoward, nothing unholy, completely pure, totally different. Now, here's the thing. As great as the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, as I mentioned before, Jesus says not only is he with you, alongside of you, but he is in you. He comes to be in you. Now, he's not just out in the yard like your neighbor, 
right, who comes by for a visit every now and then, you might occasionally invite inside. No, no, no. He's coming in the door, and he's putting his feet up on your furniture like he's going to reside in your house. He's going to be in you, in you, taking up residence inside to give you a new life, a different kind of life, a God-shaped life. First Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit. I think there's a big breakdown in that in the modern church. Like, we're glorifying him often with our spirits, but we're forgetting, like, our body is what we also glorify him with. That's why, like, sin is kind of falling by the wayside, and we kind of, yeah, it's not so bad, right? No, no, no. Like, you've been bought at a price. Like, it has ramifications. Like, honor him with all of who you are. Now, notice this, though, of course. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to live in you, and you're not going to be orphans any longer. One of the things that I think happens to us as we meet Christ and as the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, we start to grow in our identity. One of the big issues that he starts to work on is getting rid of that orphan likeness that we all have. Like we are born with that. And what that means is like think about an orphan. An orphan is a parentless child who is unprotected, unguarded, unloved. And often unknown. So when the Holy Spirit comes inside, what does he do? He makes you an adopted child of God. You are a daughter of the Lord Most High. And you are a son of the glorious Father. You're in the family now. It's what J.I. Packer, the theologian, wrote in his book, Knowing God. He said that this adoption into the family is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's higher even than justification. That's the theological term for you're forgiven and you're made right in God's sight. Right? It's one thing for God the Father to forgive, but it's an entirely different thing for him to adopt us. We who were his enemies by our own choices, our own thought life, our own actions, our own insecurities, our own unlovingness, we become part of the family. And that's radically good news. That's powerfully strong news. I, I love that we've got some babies in the room today and we've got some kids with us. Like, like not only because it's great to see you guys and I'm glad you're here, but like we get this picture among us of what it's like. Like these kids and those little ones are loved powerfully by their parents. And I've said this before, but... But I was reminded of it as I was praying and thinking this morning. You know, part of this growth into our adoption is we leave behind that orphan-likeness, which makes us approach God like we're merely servants, like we're barely squeaking by. Like, you know, a servant doesn't just walk into the house, right, and go into the refrigerator and kick it with you. A guy who cleans the carpets, for instance. He's not going to do that, unless I invite him, right? And he's certainly not going to get up in my lap. Because that would just be weird. But you know what? 
like, like I'm about to have my third and final child graduate from college. So all of mine are now young adults. If any one of them ever needed to get in my lap, doesn't matter how old they get or how old I get, like the arms are open, the presence is available, my heart is for them, because that's what a good parent does. That's the kind of access you have to the living God. The kind of intimacy that he invites you into. The kind of openness and desire he has for you to be in his presence. On your worst days, on your best days. His view of you, his love for you doesn't change based on your behavior. He will talk to you about some things that are out of whack. But it's not to shame you or crush you or send you away. It's because he's shaping you to be like himself, to be like his son Jesus. What a glorious gift. What a good parent. What a good God we have. He doesn't just give us a thing. He gives us himself. The very presence of God's spirit. I'm going to just point to one last thing. In verse 21 it says, And he who loves will be loved by my father, and I will love him, I will love her, and I will manifest myself to him. Like, there are some conditions that I've noticed in churches in particular for the presence of God to come near. And what I mean by the presence of God, that's that word manifest, for the presence of God to come near, for God to be known among us, not just in word, but in experience. It's, well, it goes back to that first part about love, a willingness for us to forgive, a willingness for us to get out of our comfort zones with each other, a willingness for us to share life together, for us to be known and to know. And I just want to say, as we're in the process of reentry into community again, one of the things that I know has been hard for me and many others and maybe for you is the re-engagement with each other. But here's the thing that I absolutely believe, and I think there's absolute scriptural warrant for it. As we're able and starting to do that, as we're loving each other, as we're forgiving each other, as we're being known by each other, the Spirit of God will be manifest in this place. Maybe even today, whether it's for an individual or for this whole group. And what that can mean, it can mean those moments where suddenly you're not worried about what anybody else is hearing coming out of your mouth because you're lost in praise for the one you love. And, and the things that you brought in start to fall away and the shame that you carry starts to have less weight upon you. And yeah, there are times when tears come, but there are often tears of relief and tears of joy. Why? Because he's manifest with us. And of course, every week we center around bread and wine, recognizing like we take him in and he wants to be with us. What holds you back from that? And, and what do you bring in here with you today? Is it an orphan likeness? Have you yet to come to Christ? To let your sin be forgiven? Are you just not believing the good news that you're in the family, friends? Well, let me say this. You're in the family, my brothers and my sisters. The world's waiting to see churches that live in the truth of what God has given us. Let's be one of those places. Let's be one of those families of God. Let's pray. 
But Lord, we thank you that you are so good that you give us yourself. You give us forgiveness. You give us grace. The God of the universe is not far away, but you're the Savior who comes. You're the paraclete. And you help and you encourage and you counsel and you comfort and you intercede and you advocate and you guide us and you dwell with us and you live in us. And you adopt us into the family of God. Let it be so in our lives and in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.